What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you'll find links to our merch and all of our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And uh, today was a, was a really cool trip down memory lane. Um, we have Mike Tramp from White Lion on the show today. And I told Mike, and I'll tell you, uh, I have been a sucker for that song, Wait, ever since the first time I heard it. And I love the video that was all over MTV. Uh, great song, great band, great hooks, uh, great singer, great looking front man, great guitar player. They had the goods. And well, um, when you kind of think about uh, everything that you just said, I mean, I, I mean, Mike still has uh, value. Oh yeah, you know what I mean, and and is still out there, and at age sixty-two, looking real good, and and obviously a talent. Uh, Looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. and he and he's, <laughs> he stays busy as shit, and and. Uh, is very talkative as you'll see in this interview, but I'm, 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 I don't know why I'm surprised. I just didn't know what to expect. I, I don't think that you did either. No, but, no but when you think about, you know, okay, white lion, yeah, whatever, you know, it, they're easy to make fun of because they're lumped into that whole hair metal thing. Of course, as they, they're asking to be part of that because they're called white lion. So when you think about, when you see the MTV hair rock, hard rock, hair metal thing, and you you think White Lion, you th I think wait, I know you know, child, watch the children. Is it children? What's it called? The, it's called when the children, the children cry. cry. When yeah. the children cry. I don't want to get it mixed up with Metal Church. No. Watch the children pray. Yes. Metal Church. Okay. Metal Church. And as well as other, you know, their, their cover of Radar Love and all that. Uh, that song, Wait, as you mentioned, even if you were, uh, uh, you know, into something heavier or different or uh, into country music or whatever, and you hear that song, Wait, by White Lion, whether you were making fun of it in jest or not, going, way. You know, even if you were being cocky about that, you were still singing the motherfucker. <laughs> That's right. You're still walking away with that little hook in there, which is very simple. It's one word. Yeah. And then um, I used to like the, uh, and I mean this with, with respect. Never had jazz to love you. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know that secondary line in yeah. The chorus? yeah yeah I, I, I love that because of the accent yeah when i sing I, it's kind of a bon scott thing right it's kind of a yeah it's got a little you know, slur to it marbles in your mouth kind of thing it's not mike's yeah. fault he's danish she his accent right but i yeah. as a singer i pick stuff up like that and i use it in my i mean i've been ripping off rob halford and bon scott I'm not telling you anything. Right, right. My entire singing career. So yeah, when I hear things like that, that line "I never had a chance to love you" is the, was the <laughs> thing that I was trying to steal, or like, oh man, I, I, that's part of the hook to me. It was, you know, well that that song and uh, and and so many others. Tell me, I was a I was a big fan of that song. We, we mentioned when the children cry, little fighter. And um, yeah. Mike is with us today because he's releasing a new album on April 14th called Songs of White Lion. And basically what he's done is, is reimagined the songs that we all know from White Lion and sort of brought them up to date with his, you know, his 62-year-old voice versus his 26-year-old voice. But the music stays pretty true to the originals. Um, I'm loving it. I've been listening to it for a couple days now. I wasn't sure what to expect. I was like, uh oh, is he going to go unplugged? Is he is he going to uh, give the songs different arrangements or whatever? And the answer is no. If you like the songs from White Lion the way you remember them, uh, I think you'll like this updated version just with uh, Mike's uh, you know more mature voice, I guess. 
Uh, and he talks about that on the show. He's very forthcoming. One of the things I really enjoyed about the conversation today is he's uh, honesty. Yeah, he's very honest. He doesn't mind making fun of himself. He doesn't mind sharing his background. Um, and I learned a lot about his songwriting process uh, with regards to his uh, his appreciation for Phil Lennon from Thin Lizzy, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen. And when you learn that about him, you realize there's much more to him than that than the than the pop star on MTV who looks so glamorous. You're telling you're telling me exactly what just happened to me just by hanging out with the guy for a while. It's yeah. like I was like, whoa, this is this is crazy. I didn't realize that he's right. He's coming from somewhere else. He's his writing aspect and and um, uh, topics. His lyrical topics are not uh, just like you know, boy meets girl. And you know the rest, you know, right. what I mean, it's it's way it's it's the opposite of that, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of crazy, man. Yeah. And what's crazier, too, is that he had two hit songs with those types of themes. The Little Fighter, people may not realize, is a song and he'll tell you about it today. But it's it's an environmentally conscious song, environmentally aware song. Right. And when the children cry, I think is a little more obvious. It speaks about children around the world who are impacted by war and, and other such tragedies. But uh, those songs are more relevant today than they were in 1987 or yeah, whatever. He's, come, he's coming from the same place that like Bono is coming from when Bono writes lyrics. Stuff, yeah. It's that kind of a thing. Yeah. It's yeah. not what you would expect when you see a white lion video on MTV in at 1987. Yeah. It's, it's completely what what a great uh, sort of shocking surprise that you don't think about when you're 22 years old and 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 uh, succumbed by the power of MTV and uh, it's almost like uh, you're being poisoned by uh, no pun intended by uh, glitz and glamour and lights and 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 money and record deals and uh, big hair or, yeah. or leather pants or. Yeah. <laughs> or shaved heads and no pants. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is when your hormones are taking over anyway. And here you got the singer from White, White Lion uh, singing about uh, serious issues. So yeah. it was excellent to have Mike Tramp from, from White Lion, but Mike Tramp as Mike Tramp here today on the Talk Louder podcast. <laughs> His place, Dave, yeah. his place, uh, he, he was just telling me about it. He's down the road from where he spent a lot of time hanging with, living with his brother, but he, he found it up down the road from his brother's place. It was just a roof and four walls and he put it all together. Since, uh, since you brought that, I just brought, I'm just bringing this little statue. Oh, oh my God, man. Okay. Where the fuck did you get that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have I have some very 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 hardcore dedicated uh, Irish fans, and and they they come over once in a while, and I'm not bullshitting you. For the last ten times they've come, they got a thin Lizzy present each time. Oh, those are good friends. Wow, those are great friends. That's a beautiful piece, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know I played a couple of years ago in Dublin, and I went to see the you know the life size statue of it and things yeah. like that. That's amazing. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you, and and I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of myself since we're on the topic of, of Thin Lizzy and Phil. I noticed in one of your uh, publicity photos, you have a tattoo of Bob Dylan on one arm and a tattoo of Phil Lennett on the other arm. Yeah. Um, so tell me, how important were those two guys to you as songwriters and musicians and uh, let's focus a little more on Phil than Bob, because Bob gets plenty of love. <laughs> he gets plenty of a lot of things. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I do, I do preach. I know we will cover a lot, and I, I, I have all the time you guys need. Uh, oh, great. Uh, the thing is, if you for a second, um, you know, forget the overall look and, and, and sound and image of wide line and the eighties and all that kind of stuff. That is a place that I arrive at in 1982 when I come from Europe and I come to New York and I meet Vito 
and the 80s have sort of just started. I'm, I've, I've been a longtime Van Halen fan before I come there, and I'm definitely seeing a lot of things in David Lee Roth that I uh, I want to follow. You know, I mean, I al- always known that I'm a different singer, but there's something that drives me and, and, and brings me to America for that reason. But prior to that, I mean, growing up in Denmark in, in sort of the late 60s, uh, I was raised on on folk music and uh, the Danish versions of, of of Dylan and Neil Young and later on Springsteen and stuff like that. And that is who I am as an individual songwriter. When Mike Tramp is by himself with a guitar, that is my my DNA. Wow. Okay. So all my all the songwriting, including the White Line songwriting, comes from that starting point. And Vito and I would sit across from each other. I would be sitting with my Martin guitar, and he'd be sitting with the Strat, and I'd be playing A minor G C. And then he'll, you know, he started adding twelve different fingers, and it ended up sounding the way it was. But the simplicity of the melodies always came from that. And very early on, before even there were the boys up back in town and stuff like that, I had been introduced to the early Thin Lizzy, the trio, when it was like something completely different. Yeah, very, it very was, folk. It was, it was kind of... About, exactly. There was just something about yeah. Phil that was just so, so different from everything else. I loved the way he sang. I loved, I loved the low voice and stuff like that. So as it went on, I've always been much more fan of the more folky songs that, that Phil, you know, wrote, especially on, on the Jailbreak album and Johnny the Fox. Of course, you're the, you know, the boys are back in town and things like that. But those strumming guitar songs that I could hear, and I could also see it in his bass playing that he was actually a guitar player, you know, that just sat there and strum and sang the songs. And he took that style into his bass playing. And then, of course, his lyrics. Oh, yeah. He's a poet, isn't he? Phenomenal. Do you want me to show you all my all the books I have? <laughs> uh, did you ever get to see him live? I was. That's the one band I regret never seeing live. I yeah, was. well, I, unfortunately, unfortunately, I only got to see them once. And that was on the, the um, on the Renegade tour where wow. they, I mean, it, there's a lot of great songs on that album, but yeah. at that time, with the keyboard introduced to, to Thin Lizzy, and 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 especially the Brian Robertson, Scott Gorham sound of those two, you know, I almost call it like Allman Brothers, you know, or you know, guitar playing underneath a, a you know an Irish singer, um, that was sort of gone, and and uh, you know, I mean, I almost do not remember so much about that concert you know so the memories for me is is a prior live and dangerous right right mm-hmm. wow well i never got to see him and that's one band i regret never getting to see i was probably a little too young at, when they were at their well it's always like that i mean i never yeah. you know that's a lot of things that I, I i never got to do and i now i'm going going back and seeing if i can do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Which brings us to the reason we're talking today. Thank you for uh, sharing your Thin Lizzy uh, memories with us. Um, you are about to release an album called Songs of White Lion. It comes out April 14th, I believe. And it is a reimagined collection of some obviously White Lion's biggest hits and some of the other songs as well. What, what compelled you to put this collection of songs out at this time? another great question uh and here's the answer i mean i ended white lion in 1991 and maybe we we'll get back to um some more elaborate you know answers to to exactly what happened there but from the second i left the or, or i ended the band that i'd started the next chapter would already be something completely different. And, and then, you know, for three years, I had a band called Freak of Nature. They succeeded in Europe, but never became a financial success, but the highlight of my musical career. And when that ended, I knew at that time that I had been in reality, been married three times. And the first one took the house, the second one took the kids, and the third one just took my songwriting, you know? So, I mean, 
I knew that I was not going that way anymore. So in 97, I released my first solo album, Capricorn. And from that, that day on, wanted to go down that path would, in lack of better words, compare myself to my heroes, be more like a Tom Petty, a Springsteen, a Mellencamp. That is what, like I said earlier, that's who I am as a songwriter. But of course, already on my first American tour with, with, with my solo band, I show up at the venue and what does the banner says? Tonight, Wide Lion. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, you know, in the dressing room fumigating, you know, I mean, completely, you know, going. When I walk out on stage here, my hair is completely cut off. I'm have a telecast around my neck. You know, and the first three songs run into each other. So there's no, there's, there, you know, you can't greet the people. That's how the show is. And I almost start screaming and the people says, this is not White Lion, man. White Lion is a long time ago. Right. And it, with time, it would just escalate. And, and, and you know, that sticker would just be slapped on my back. No matter what I did. And, and, uh. The thing was that I changed my sound that drastically that it wasn't just a matter of playing a White Lion song because the guitar players in my band and the drummers were people that didn't know the 80s. I said, if you've, if you've been part of the 80s, you can't be part of my band. Because <laughs> <laughs> there ain't going to be almost no guitar solos, man. Just stand behind and just look like you're, you know, you're just playing your instrument. You know, no, no movements, no, no big flashy stuff. Right. And um, but then after a few years, I sort of got called back into the arena and I started, you know, in, in 2005 going out with, you know, a version called Tramps Wide Line. We toured around America together with Enough's Enough, you know, and ending up in clubs with like 35 people. And I'm, and and I went to myself. I says, "Who are all these people asking me if I'm going to bring White Line back together when there's nobody showing up?" Right. And then I pushed it one step further, and uh, after a couple of big European festivals, thought that I could actually call it White Line, and I recorded an album called uh, White Line: Return of the Pride, which sounds nothing like what White Line would have sounded like, and that should have been a sign enough to myself. So after that, obviously, also doesn't take off and Beto starts, you know, putting a couple of lawyers on me and things like that. I realized that this is not a place I should be. So and I rekindled my, my, my solo career. And then, you know, eight solo albums down the line. Here I am today. But during that time, every time I've gone around Europe to play, the promoters always go, hey, man, can you send a video from the rehearsal room where you play Broken Heart or Wait or stuff like that? I says, no, I can't because it's not that kind of band. But bit by bit, I, I, I got sucked into it and I started playing it. And then I realized if I have to play the White Lion songs, I have to play them note for note, but how I am today. So basically... I was 26 when we did Pride. Mm -hmm. So I've just taken that two and six and turned it around. Now I'm 62. <laughs> I've just, I've two, you know, I brought the songs down a few steps. And now it just sounds and feels like me when I go out and do these songs. And now I'm comfortable with it, that it feels right. It's not like I'm trying to squeeze into my old pants from, from, from 87. Yeah. You yeah. know, I go out there with conviction and now I own the songs before the songs owned me. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I've listened to the, yeah, I, I listened to the record and, uh, and, and you do, you, you stay very true to the, to the songs as they were recorded and as we remember them from the past. The only difference I can, I can tell immediately is your voice. It's obviously much more mature and older and, uh, but it sounds great. So my question to you then is when you're in the studio and you're re-recording these songs and, and I mean, and I emphasize re-recording versus playing them live, uh, because when you're re-recording, I imagine you really analyze the notes and the song structure and it, what memories come back when you revisit those songs from a re-recording them perspective. I mean, I mean, once again, man, great, 
great question because yeah, Dave, uh, Dave's good at this. Dave is really good, man. No, <laughs> Dave's I'm good comfortable at this. here. I'm, I'm just the cheerleader. Whenever he needs me, I'm just sitting here ready to go. You know, yeah. it, it's just the way it is. You know, you know, little Steven Springsteen. He goes to him whenever he needs you. Know, and you know, yeah. I'm here to hold you know? up the swag. You know, hey, I, I need one of those mugs. <laughs> The thing was, and, and, and like I said before, when you're going to play a White Lion song, you're also going to deal with Vito Brada, not just my tramp with the great hair and running around, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. You're dealing with a guitar player who, who, who is probably the most detailed guitar player from the 80s. There are, there, there are similarities, you know, to, of course, to his hero, Eddie Van Halen. But when you go into Vito Brada's guitar solos, you're going into Beethoven, Mozart. You cannot get around them. Once you start the solo, you have to play it note for note. You cannot suddenly go blues. You cannot suddenly just uh, grab the whammy bar and stuff like that. You have to play it. So Marcus Nand, who is the guitar player on the album and, and a guy that I, I played with and known for many, many years, we talked about this for a year, and I says, "You're gonna, you're gonna put some work into that. Can you play these songs in a different key and still play the riffs? Because there are certain songs that rock and roll has written that is impossible to play in different key. Mm-hmm. You know, and and some of these, I mean, you know, I don't have a problem saying it. I mean, I don't know how many." how many musicians or people, you know, in tune with music out there, but the original Broken Heart is written, was the first song Vito and I wrote, and probably the highest song I ever sang, is written in D minor. And we're playing it today in F sharp minor. I'm almost going an octave down. Uh, and it's, it's you know, for Marcus to learn these solos and playing them note for note is a masterpiece in itself. So that is that was the most important thing because there was no point for me going into the studio trying to do these songs in an original key uh, uh, that's 40 years ago. I mean, first of all, that's that it was simply just impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually impossible just already on our last Wide Line album. I had started out way, way, way too high, and it was never really my my natural way that I was going to sing. So it naturally took its 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 you know um, its turn. It's kind of like when you put that little box on the toilet where you could put your feet up on because now it's tougher to get off. It's like you adjust, <laughs> like Clint Eastwood said in in a great movie called Heartbreak Bridge. You know, you adapt, you improvise to the situation, and of course, along the way, we have done that. But you started talking about Phil Lynott before. I feel a little bit of philinet in me when I go out and sing these songs today. And that's because a lot of his vocal performance where he's he's able to move off the beat and come back to the beat by the time he needs to change is something that I've studied for a while. It's a for, sort of freedom you only get uh, when you sung the songs for 30 years. He obviously managed to do it the first time he sang the song. But for me, it, it took a lot of years to learn that kind of thing where now you you're free off the song so you just you you know you you know it so well spoken spoken word uh is a phrase that i like uh i feel like it comes from you know a folk side of things i think it comes like dylan obviously had sort of a cadence but even spoken word has a special delivery and its own cadence. There's actually a beat behind how they're delivering things. I think reggae music has the same where they're flipping the beat the whole time and the singer is just finding their own way. And there's this like odd time, but yet there's this, you know, clock going the whole time. Philip Linet was master at that. As we all know, when you think about you've got this groove and he's going, you know, it's almost like a, the rap and the hip hop and just how you scheme your cadence over groove. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's, 
it's something that not everybody can do because they feel like they always have to come down on the one, which is you do not always have to come down on the one. Yeah, could you imagine uh, talking to Medlash about this back in 1987? They wouldn't have understood what the fuck <laughs> yeah. we were just talking about. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, so, I listen. So no. I, yeah, <laughs> I I listened to the record, and and sort of what I was getting at is when I listened to the record, to me, um, it, it's almost like a photo album because the songs are snapshots of times in my life. And that's why I was asking you when you revisit those songs in the studio and you get meticulous about recreating the notes and recording them, I can only imagine what that photo album looks like for you because you're the, the creator. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of uh, good looking blonde girls, you know, with uh, very little. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is because I, w I, w I was saying to someone else, you know, for my white line memories. The chase is better than the catch. Mm -hmm. you know, the shitty clubs, the one motel room we had to share, who takes a floor, who takes a bathroom, stuff like that. And then the dressing room at Madison Square Garden where the band is in an argument. So you, 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 you pick and choose. What is it you want to take with you to the grave? And, you know, how is it that I want to remember Vito Brada, who I wrote these songs with? Um, you know, it's not the lawsuit. It's not, man, fuck, man, are you going to get done with this guitar tone or not? You know, it's it's the laughs. It's the fun time yeah. we had in the studio in Frankfurt, Germany, when our management sent us over there to, to record the, the Fight to Survive album. And we're stuck in, in a place where there is absolutely nothing to do. And what we came up with, those are the memories of, of, of brotherhood that disappeared when pride succeeded. Mm -hmm. did, did you, was, did I read somewhere that at one point, one of the reasons I was kind of curious about this album at this time is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I thought at one point that Vito owned the catalog or owned the music or something which would prevent you from doing an album like this. Is that, is that no longer the case or was that never true in the first place? No, it was never true, but, 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 but since I don't have any problem and, and I'm on very good terms with Vito and James, so, I mean, there's no issues there. The thing was that the name White Lion was owned by a company that Vito and I started when we started as a partners. You know, there was the first thing our lawyer says, okay, we're going to put put, a, uh, put up a, a sub-publishing company. We didn't know what that meant at that time. We hadn't written the first song yet. It says, you know, and this will be to protect everything. That company owned White Lion. Mm -hmm. And as, as I have done a lot of uh, unthoughtful things in my life, you know, and, and, you know, thought back later on, I resigned from that company when I did my first solo album to do a new deal with another company. So, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And all I thought about was just getting the money for to, to do that album and said stuff that I, I ever thought, well, you know, down the road, you will probably be doing something white line that maybe you shouldn't be doing this. So that's, that's basically where it came down to that, that, you know, that he owns, the name of, of the band that I started. Okay. But it, that's okay because I actually came to terms with and Vito and I spoke about it sometimes. And, you know, he always said to me, you know, Mike, man, it's like, man, I really hate doing this kind of thing to you, but I just, I hate turning on YouTube and seeing White Lion in concert and then seeing that it's not me playing the guitar. Then I don't want it to say White Lion because White Lion is the band that I was part of. Yeah. And I says, you know what? I finally get it. I finally understand what that really means. And then it occurred to me also that I don't want to be up on stage calling it White Lion when it's not White Lion. Therefore, the album Songs of White Lion, which is also the concert poster. So when you see that poster, it's not tonight appearing White Lion. It's Mike Tramp, the songs of White Lion. He's playing the songs of White Lion tonight as close to the original thing. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds reasonable on both sides. I can see Vito's point and I can see your point as well. So that, I mean, yeah, I, I get that. Let me ask, um, let me ask a question. Yeah. You feel like uh, 
and this is kind of this is just asking your opinion and how it might correlate with your feelings you just expressed because I to I totally get it I completely get it and understand um but on on a very large level when you think about uh I don't know uh kiss when Ace Freely and Peter Chris are still alive and they see kiss everywhere and they're not on the stage or even on the poster and the the caricature that they are famous for making famous uh are being worn by two uh completely viable and excellent musicians who are just as deserving as anybody else i i and i mean that um wearing you get it. You understand the question. Yeah, I, totally I wonder agree. what they're. I mean, are are they mad about it? Or because they, they're not as far as kickbacks go, monetary monetary kickback. Ace Freely and Peter Chris. I don't think they're receiving anything other than what catalog they may or may still own. And I think they sold it all. Give yeah, it, I mean, I mean, there there there's there's no way in hell that you would not be sitting at home being extremely bitter. Mm -hmm. about this the, the i mean just to just i mean we could pick up a lot of different bands you know sure. of course you know this is a trademark but gene and paul from the beginning had the business together before they had the first uh, song written right. there were no options in their contracts it right. is it is Fort Knox. They are geniuses. <laughs> when to contracts, you know. um, I did not expect. I did not expect it to actually go that way. Uh, the first thing you said is probably what I was fishing for. But yeah, it's you're valid. No, but it's it's just that's just how that goes. So there's no way around it. I mean, it's 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 like it's like replacing Han Solo or or, or Luke Skywalker. You know, uh, George Lucas owns the Star Wars thing and they can do, you know, the, the people down in South America when they made Menudo were much smart about that. This just says when you turn 16, you're out of the band. Because there's still 78 year old men that go up on stage and, you know, uh, hack their way through the songs. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, you know, the movie, <laughs> the sci-fi movie, Logan's Run. Do you know this movie? Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't uh, name you all the things, but I remember seeing it. So when you turned like, I think it was like thirty, you you like, well, it's nice knowing everybody. I love you, you know, I love all my friends, but gotta go. And you just walk into the chopping block. So exactly. it's like you, you automatic extermination uh, at age thirty or something. I don't know. It may have been a different age, but it was like it's the menudo thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we, we decapitate you at age 16. <laughs> you are gone. You mean nothing. You own nothing. Bye-bye. You know, you've overstayed your welcome. Yeah, well, yeah, you, know, you, know, you know, there's actually countries where they circumcise you when you're 16. So you can choose which way. But I, I have, I have, a, I have a, a nice description for your listeners and your viewers. And it's a story that I've taken out onto the clubs and the pizzerias and the homes that I've played in for the last uh, 10 years. <laughs> when I've toured the world. And that is, you know, people always remember this thing that when, when you stand in line at the supermarket, it could be Walmart, it could be anything, and you pick up the National Enquirer and you just go through it and it's just one ridiculous story after another. <laughs> you do that with a circus magazine, Anno 88, and you, and you go through it very quickly. It's like, you know, the first five minutes is all blonde hair. And then the next one is a jet black hair, you know, so that's first the singers. And that was, you know, that's all, that was all of us. And then the, the guys, but then they left the last two pages uh, for the, for the keyboard players, the one with the bad hair, the one, you know, that didn't fit on stage and was left off stage. And now you jump 35 years uh, forward and you are the monsters of rock cruise and you're standing there with a beer in your hand and your friend and you see the banner and the logo on stage and then these five guys walk on stage and start playing the, the song you sort of know and your friend goes to you, I don't recognize anybody in the band. And then, then you know, I go, well, you know, look, at that's a keyboard player. He owns the name of the band. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> <laughs> the guy that was on the back page of the magazine yeah, you looked at yeah. that you did the pages you didn't look at yeah you weren't <laughs> looking for him yeah trademark the band you know you know 
Let, let's talk about MTV. Um, you guys, uh, when Pride exploded, I think that it's fair to say that the video helped that song and the band tremendously. And let's face it, I mean, I'm looking at you today in 2023, and you're still you still look like a million damn dollars. I, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> so let's uh, was was MTV something that you embraced or was it sort of a necessary evil that you just played along with because that's what you had to do at the time did you see any value in it i I just add that when i walk out on stage i'll be a little bit more presentable right now i'm at home (laughs) the fire going there's a storm outside and right now i just i just feel like being the way i am here you know you look great Uh, you look you look awesome man this what you got keep doing that in case people would turn in and uh, tune in and and go who is he right (laughs) no i think i think people are going to figure it out man (laughs) (laughs) there's there there's actually a very interesting story i had i actually feel like i have a real a lot of good stories which is not about hotel rooms and backstage and that was that when Motley Crue was was ruling America with Home Sweet Home video, mm-hmm. was so tired of it because it had been number one on the most requested for you know longer than you know Pat Sajak was on you know Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> uh, they, this is not documented, but the story is still true. MTV came up with some sort of office rule that when you have been in 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 their rotation for like a certain amount of month, you weren't eligible anymore for the most requested videos. Mm, okay. Now, when the weight video, which we struggled to get the uh, our record company to pay, there were nothing that was given to us from the bit. We fought for doing that, uh, and MTV had been playing it like at three in the morning. You know where people are coming home and, you know, eating cold pizza and going to sleep. <laughs> then one time they played it at prime time. And obviously it was like a, you know, explosion of, of requests and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then we hear this from our record company that, oh, you know, that the Wade video has been in rotation for so long, man, they don't really feel you're eligible for that. Mm. And you know, I picked up the phone from the record company and I called MTV. And after a few people passed me on, I actually got through to the person sitting and making this. And I just, you know, with my uh, my Danish accent and stuff, like I just started yelling at him and saying, man, hey, I know someone who knows someone who knows someone. He says, you're right. And next week they started playing the, vi- the, the Wade video and it started climbing up the most requested videos. And once it started landing there in the top, Obviously, now we were starting selling a hundred thousand albums a week. Right, right. I I, I remember I that, that video, video all the time. All I, the time. I, that video was all the time. I mean, I I was not trying to sing wait wait, but I felt myself walking around singing it, and it was all yeah. because of that phone call you made. I've been a sucker for that song since the day I first heard it and the video. I love the video. And one of the things I like about it is that it's, it's black and white, you know? So. Yeah. yeah, You know, there's a lot. And, 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 you know, it's, again, we were going in to do our, you know, we had done a video or a couple years earlier on, you know, for broken heart of the first album, but this was now, this was sort of big time. And, you know, lots of photographers were part of the shoot and everything like, you know, all the big things, you know, and and we knew we knew at that time that we were up against you know you know van halen bon jovi motley crew rat poison we knew what we were up against i mean you know 1987 i mean mtv has reached its peak without a doubt mm-hmm. and um you know what hindsight is 2020 but when you look back there was nothing that came easy Everything we came with at with MTV, you know, were always, you know, ah, oh, this and this. So, so it wasn't like they said, man, you got to rush, you know, for the next video and stuff like that. But interesting enough that on the second album or the third album, when we then do Radar Love, which is almost a seven and a half minute um, uh, song, we also went all the way and did sort of what we called a mini movie around that, and MTV embraced it. 
Yeah. Well, by then you're, 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 you're drawing eyeballs to the channel. They love white lion. Now yeah, you, you <laughs> had the attention span before you had the attention span for, for a seven minute track. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, prior to that, of course, we had had when the children cry, which was number one and things yeah, like that. That was another big and, one. Yeah. Both, both a song and a video that the record company didn't want to do. They didn't believe in it. And we, we simply fought, like crazy for that man says if not we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you know pay for it ourselves and we're gonna send it to mtv and you know we did that video you know one night after on on tour with acds you know up all night shooting this video and then you know doing it was just one of those days but nothing nothing was guaranteed you know we were crossing our fingers yeah i was i was gonna ask you i just got done speaking of that song when the children cry i just got done reading this book oh, yeah, okay and and for those who are listening and not watching i'm holding up a copy of nothing but a good time it recently came out and it basically chronicles the 80s hard rock scene and there was a thing there was a quote in there that i thought was it was kind of funny and also very telling of the times and it dealt with White Lion specifically. And I don't know if it was John Kalodner, the famous A&R guy, or somebody. Somebody said, when you presented the song Little Fighter, a lot of people may not know this, but the song is, a, is about, it's an environmental song. It's about a, a, a Greenpeace boat on a mission to save the whales, basically. And Kalodner said, if, uh, it may not be Kalodner, but somebody in the industry it said, Kalodner. it was Kalodner, okay. Kalodner said, saving whales doesn't sell records. Leather pants sells records. <laughs> I know. I mean, he was saying that to Vito. And he says, man, you, man, you got to tell Tramp that, you know, uh, saving whales and all that kind of stuff, that ain't rock and roll, man. Leather pants are, you know? <laughs> so, and and, and, it, and it, it was, it, in many ways, um, it was one of those things that, that of course, now I get to deal with in in these interviews because now I I actually deal with with the with great um, questions that like like from you guys and, and other people that actually are interested in hearing a story because this was a dilemma um, that I I fought all through the white line history and the eighties uh, history um, in one way. I wanted to be sort of like David E. Roth. Hmm. On the other side, I didn't sing like him. My philosophy were completely different. Hmm. I wanted to tell the truth and not entertain with my stories. As much as I've enjoyed everything he says, half the time I don't understand what it is he's talking about. But here I was, born and raised in Denmark. You know, I had found the story about, you know, the Rainbow Warrior, a little fishing trawler belonging to Greenpeace, blown to pieces in 1978 by, by you know, French secret frogments and stuff like that. And it says, here, here is a David versus Goliath story. Yeah. And even though that I'm neither bringing out the Rainbow Warrior in the song or saving whales or stuff like that, it was just something that I felt. And, and the truth is that the song has stood the test of time because as I go around the world, and especially in America, so many people took that song to their heart in their own struggle in life. I've had people who have lost their kids to, 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 to diseases and saying, while my boy was fighting his last year, man, you know, he was a little fighter. He loved that song. I've had soldiers returning from their tour of duty with one leg saying, man, that song kept me alive. And so in the long run, you know, that was what it was about. But I, you know, when I joked around before about these, you know, the interviews with Metal Edge or Circus Magazine, I wasn't good at that, you know, sexual end to end talk and, and backstage stories. So I can, you have a spinal tap story. They said, no, I don't have a spinal tap story. Spinal tap is built around us. We are the fucking story. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just one of those things. I live the misery. Well, I think that that's a, a really, really great, uh, I don't know what word to use. Problem is not right, but to have when you're, you see, uh, since I, I don't have any like, you know, dirty panties stories for you, but I do have all of this stuff that I truly believe in with my heart and I can make this work in sort of a, I hate the term hair metal, but in a heavy metal or a hard rock avenue or arena type of place, you know, headspace that has a lot of fans who might, you know, who obviously like my band, 
I can get a message out through this style of music and it's going to touch people in a certain way and still be a hard rock uh, ballad or a heavy metal song or it's going to shed light on a lot of areas now it doesn't matter if within the inner sanctum management or even band members are making fun of my lyrics saying you know you need to put your leather pants on and shut up about saving whales you have the last laugh I'm not saying that it deserves a last laugh, but you, you win. And you know who else wins even bigger? Those fans that it hit their hearts. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's, it, we at times, as much as we wanted the cover of Circus Magazine, as much as we loved the videos, as, love it, as much as I loved running out on stage with, with, with my clothes and changing jackets three times just in the first song, man. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I'm raised on Freddie Mercury and David Bowie. I always mm. knew that the stage was a place you perform, not just sing the songs. Yeah. Um, there's also a time when you want to talk about things. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And I think that I probably think that the industry it probably created more problems or issues for us because we sort of had to follow. It was very tough to be Henry Rollins or uh, Kurt Cobain in 1988. And and then, you know, play together with Poison and Motley Crue and things like that, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Um, But that doesn't mean that that there were not band members that would return to the hotel room and read Moby Dick. Right, right. right. It's true. true. I, I I think that, I'm sorry, Dave, to interrupt. I like the 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 names that you just you probably picked them just out of thin air, but Henry Rollins and Kurt Cobain, they're not writing songs about dirty panties. Right. Matter of fact, they're probably okay. writing something that's more to the heart, uh, i.e., saving the whales than it is dirty panties, a hundred percent. So you're. I like I like how this is uh, this is panning out. Sorry, Dave. I just wanted to comment. I, I no, I was gonna I was going to sort of make the same point. I think the fact that uh, two of Mike's uh, most enduring songs, "Little Fighter" and "When the Children Cry," are can, stayed relevant to this day. Yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of songs written by his peers and maybe even some of his own songs with White Lion. Maybe don't, you know, he wrote those when he was 24, 25, 26. They might not resonate today, but the the lyrical content of Little Fighter and When the Children Cry, the message in that song, you just turn on the news, man, and that stuff is still very relevant. So I, I do think you had the last laugh. Um, yeah, either. and it's, it's incredible that a, if, if you have to look at that, I should add something to what you said, because what you said was correct. But I sit at my manager's house where I was living in Staten Island, New York in 85 and right when the children cry. This is when Ronald Reagan was president. America was smiling. Nobody was at war. Uh, the, the rock and roll, the music industry was at its peak. The checks could not be big enough when they signed bands and stuff like that. And here I am writing a song about today, not necessarily using futuristic words, but basically just using, you know, like simplicity. And over the last five or six years, I mean, just to start with uh, yesterday, I mean, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, you know, the the, the Ukraine war, you know, Afghanistan retreatal, you know, and just one disaster at all. But it was simply just because as, as being raised in Denmark, with only five million people, a, a, a the first country who's who liberated pornography and sex, um, and and we were very much introduced to all issues in the world. Therefore, it was not difficult for me to to look at those kind of things. Therefore, I didn't want to sing about you know dirty panties or my G string turned to A or or sexual innuendos. I simply couldn't look in the mirror i couldn't go out there and show me your tits and stuff like that right it it's just not me i like to see a pair of tits but it's you know that's not the problem i just couldn't use that as my stage persona sure it's on the list but it's not it may not be the first five things on your list i get it yeah (laughs) so i I feel like i feel like um 
you know, just your town, where you're from, your place, your planet, your, your world. And, and it seems like you grew up very liberated because of where you're from. Yeah. I think that's very liberated. So it's easy for you to write about things that you feel strongly about and not have any questions or qualms about what it is that you're going to write. And if someone else walked in and go, why would you want to do that? It's like, well, why wouldn't I? You want me to to put on a mask? You know, I'm not going to put on a mask. So there were there were many times especially as we we went from the the pride album into the big game album even you know i showed up with a song called broken home um and it is i mean it is so simple lyrics it's simply just about a kid growing up in a broken home and here's his mom and dad and the band is sitting there with management and, and and record company going ah you know we don't know if this is the right thing and only a few years later jeremy from pearl jam becomes the biggest thing ever and i go was it my hair yeah was whatever you know i mean simply i'm just i'm just writing a song about real life and i'm not you know i'm not you know doing anything that's that controversial no right yeah i was going to ask you and i think you've kind of already answered it but um you're, obviously, you're, you're obviously a, a man that's got, um, you know, you're, you're obviously aware of the world around you and you don't mind um, singing about it. But I think that the, the industry wants to keep you in the box of uh, Mike Tramp, the guy who sang Wait and had all the girls in the front row screaming and yelling and all that sort of thing. And, and that's why I was going to ask you. How frustrating is it for you as an artist when you've got something of substance to st- to say to get that kind of pushback and resistance because the industry wants to keep you as Mike Tramp, nineteen eighty seven? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there, there, in the wide line days, of course, I had also not found myself all the way around. I mean, I was still you know, lost in searching, you know, I, I think most people were, we all were, you know, should we wear pink tonight or should it just be black or whatever? <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of trial and error and things like that, but it's sort of, it's sort of the business and, and, and the movement allowed for us to, to go out and do these things. And so, so, so we pushed the boundaries, but, but sometimes when you feel like that, uh, it, 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 it just didn't, it's almost like you were ahead of time without being really ahead of time. It's just like, hey, man, I came to hear rock and roll. I don't want to be preached at. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've we've touched on some some fairly heavy topics. I want to go back. The, the first time I ever saw you was 1988 opening for ACDC. And I didn't realize that White Lion had also toured with, besides ACDC, you toured with Ozzy, Aerosmith, Motley Crue, uh, Kiss. Kiss. I mean, the, these are the biggest names in the business at that time and, and to this day, if, if we're being honest. Um, what were those, were, did those tours provide you any time, any, any time to interact with any of those bands? Do you, I know before you said you don't have any Spinal Tap stories, but I'm trying to find out if you had any uh, fun with any of those bands um, backstage, offstage, whatever, any interaction or were you ships in the day, night? Day off, whatever. Oh, um, <laughs> I have millions. <laughs> Millions. Um, well, yeah, let's see. So and and I, actually clock, I, I feel I have a story that that sort of uh, is so different than you know what what others would have by being you know like the famous scene with Motley Crue and Ozzy sniffing ants and stuff like that. You you would I mean you would expect that, but but here here's here's a different story because I, I became really really good friends with Steven Tyler when we toured Aerosmith wow. and you know it was a permanent vacation tour it was a first clean tour so they were very coherent and and uh, they invited me only me in every night to eat with them and you know in the in the dress room and stuff like that wow. but that again I think it was my European thing of 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 me approaching them different and uh, we're playing in Edmonton Canada and we have we have a day off 
and we're playing this, uh, and, and and both Aerosmith and Wideline is visiting visiting the, that gigantic shopping mall there, which is basically like almost Disneyland on the roof because it's so damn cold in the winter. And you know, bit by bit, we split up, and I'm actually walking together with Steven Tyler down, you know, down the mall like that, and we pass this gigantic water park where kids are just like having time of their life. And Tyler looks at me and goes, should we? So we go across to a sports store, buy two pair of bathing shorts, change in the store, run across and spend three hours in that water park, just him and I. <laughs> no, 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 you know, no girls, no drugs, no rock and roll, just, just two, you know, two men. Kids. To get two kids, playing, two kids playing outside. I love it, man. You know, and, and that to me is what 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 a lot of is what I was looking for. Uh, you know, I mean, I always had a different interest in when I met these bands and and what I would share with them and stuff like that. You know, yeah. going to the movies with Joe Perry, talking fitness stuff like that. On ACDC, I got up every morning and hung with the road crew. I wanted to see the stage being built. That's why today I have, there's nothing I don't know about what a rock and roll show is from, from you know, the catering to how the PAs connect and stuff like that. I always had an interest. I actually always dreamt more about being a roadie than a singer. Wow. wow. So I had that interest and I, every single ACDC show I watched from the monitor board. Yeah, yeah. I stood there thinking back when somebody came to my house in Denmark and put on high voltage, and how I sat there picking up the jaw from the from from the floor, going, yeah. "What the hell is this?" <laughs> I have yeah. never heard anything like this, and and basically, eleven years later. Here I am, you know, and you know the for, the great thing about both with both with with Aerosmith and and ACDC and later on Ozzy and Motley, we're not just you know a support band; we're a high paid special guest. Yeah, yeah. This is why I asked the questions. That that was pure gold right there. <laughs> and one last little story here, which comes from Brian Johnson and ACDC. That, that they were almost never around ACDC. They, I mean, it was almost like you know, like a creature of the night. You didn't see them, but uh, suddenly one night, I see Brian Johnson come out and sort of crawl up to the stage. And then, you know, um, when we go back to the dressing room, you know, he goes, lads, it's really nice to see girls in our audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Ones that I look bet. like girls, right. <laughs> yeah, girls that look like girls. <laughs> Mike, uh you, you know, you, you've been more than gracious with your time today. We'll, we'll wrap this up. Uh, we really do appreciate you spending so much time with us and sharing your stories. But I have to ask you the question you're sick of. What would it take to get a White Lion reunion with Vito, James and Greg? What's, in, what's the title of that Eagles DVD? When hell freezes, yeah, hell freezes over. <laughs> over. Well, here, here's the facts. Here's the facts. Vito and I are on real good terms. Vito has not been on a stage or in a recording studio since White Lion played their final show September 2nd, 1991 in Boston. Whoa. Okay. James has James Lomenzo, the bass yeah. player, has played with Ozzy, Davey yeah. Roth. John Fogarty uh, slash and, and and is now for the second time back in Megadeth and solid as a rock. And James yeah. and I are blood brothers all the way. You know, he was in. Uh, he did Black Label Society for a bit. And, you know, yeah, the, 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 well, at that time it was called Pride and Glory, the first album with Sagwala. Yeah. Phenomenal album. That's right. And That's I, right. And, and I see him every every time he comes around. We're always together. Uh, it's not so much what it would take. It would definitely take that it would be Vito that would make the first move. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, I am not sure that it would be great. 
and 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 you know, Vita would come out and insist on playing the songs in original key. Right. And I'd say, well, you know, call Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there's at least at least you know what it would take. If it's not to say, I mean, you know, Vito said a few years ago on 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 the Eddie Trunk show, and and they've rehashed that interview a million times. Like he's just quoted it. He says, "Well, the door ain't closed, and the door is never closed to me." And that would probably be a bigger chance for Vito and I to collaborate on on something new and different without comparing us to some of our heroes like Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, when they got together again, they were not going to do a new Led Zeppelin album. You know, history has already been made, you know. Yeah. But that's not to say if Vito suddenly got the fire going and says, you know what, I like to come play in one of your albums. I like to come out and play a song on stage and stuff like that. I go pick him up. Yeah. So there, it's not there. But I also respect Vito's own feeling about this that you know there are times when you just don't want to go back up there and you want to remember how it was mm. when we actually didn't need an elevator to the stage <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> fair enough or an ambulance <laughs> oxygen oxygen tank yeah <laughs> wheelchair <laughs> it, fuck a a cane anything <laughs> yeah i agree well mike uh thank you so much for your time today uh we wish you all the luck in the world with songs of white lion the new album from mike tramp coming out april 14th uh we hope you'll tour that album maybe we'll see you out on the road in 2023 um i hope you have some yeah, no, I mean, I'm, play I'm playing the northeast coast all through the month of may and of course that will eventually start building that hopefully these would these are just duo shows together with my guitar player mm -hmm. because the finances just aren't there for a band. But hopefully, the band, like we're doing in Europe, playing the big rock festivals, would be able to play some of them in America down the line, so people would actually get that feeling of how that was. Yeah, sure. yeah. Well, we hope that all works out. I'd love to see you in Texas, and I know well, I, can, I can tell you one thing for sure. From just looking at 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 both of you guys' studio, I have actually fallen back in love with rock and roll. Yeah, mission accomplished, Jason. I tell you, I tell you something. <laughs> I knew I was holding on to all this useless crap for something. For something. Yeah. I, it I was, to, what, it man, was to inspire can, Mike Tramp. If you can find, if you can find an original dangerous toys t-shirt i'd be very much up for one my both me and my brother always loved that logo wow. and he's not gonna have that tattoo so if ever you have one or reprinted um you know i would be very proud to wear it <laughs> i will i will get one in the mail as soon as possible when we uh when we uh, when we hang when we kick you out of here so we can do our intro march Yep, I will. I will get. I will get your address. We'll send you an email through your. I guess Dave, his publicist. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get your address and I'll ship one right to you, buddy. It's no. Oh, just get it to me when I come to America in May. Well, I'm sure we can catch up sooner or later, whatever. Yeah, if you come through Texas, we can come find you. Are you also in Texas? You're both in Texas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're Thanks. right out. We're he's in he's in Austin, and I'm just south uh, southwest of southeast of Austin. So excellent. Well, you know, yeah. Texas is one of my favorite places. It just you know we're just not making it this time down there, but that's definitely a stop yeah. along the way. I've always you know if I was going to move back to America, it's either going to be Texas or Montana. Nice. Uh, yeah. Where uh, are you right now? Not in Texas or Montana. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in a very, I'm in a very little country, smaller than the size of Texas, uh, called Denmark. Um, five million people. Okay. Uh, you know, boarding to Germany, just crossing Sweden. Of course, it's not going to mean anything to you. No, I, American, I know American. where that is. I passed geography. I know where. Uh, that is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may not look like I passed geography, but I passed geography. <laughs> good, good culture and good music coming out of Denmark. Yeah, all yeah, all good. We're we're, we're all good. We, we, you know. Yeah.
We appreciate you staying so long, man. We were expecting. Oh, man, I, I, I could go all night with you guys, man. I had, I have a show with you guys because I mean, the thing is that when, when, when everyone talks from the same point of view and, and, and have the knowledge and, you know, also grown with the times, like Jason said, you know, we know when we met in the past and, you know, 35 years have gone by and we have all evolved. We remember where we came from and we remember things a lot, but right now we also need to be current and, and, you know, keep the memories alive at the same time. And it's a great place to be. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been listening to the new record and I love it. So thank you for, uh, all your past music and present and future as well. Um, the songs like take me back to a certain spot in my life. And, uh, I love walking down memory lane and listen to that stuff. That's what, that's, that's what it's, that's what it's for right there. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mike, personally from me. Thank you for just being awesome. I wish we would have met, uh, prior to this because you are, you're, you're kind of awesome, man. I could see a dangerous toys, white lion tour in like 80, 89 or something. Nice to meet yeah, you. No, no, I definitely. I mean, you know, I mean, we all chew the same bird, you know, and we yeah. all, you know, the same girls and stuff like that. I mean, are you um are, are you are you doing the Monsters of Rock cruise this year? Not this time. Not this time. Oh, I think okay. I just passed on that. You know, I mean, I've been doing them a few years ago. That's not to say that it couldn't be. It would be the perfect place for the band to do it next year. You're right. You know, yeah. I mean, actually, you know, Larry Mays actually given us a serious spot. Maybe you know, a, a tour without you know the the usual lineup. You know, right. Something. No, I, I get that. I, I'm actually on it this year, but I'm not with Dangerous Toys. I'm fronting that band Dirty Looks. You remember Dirty oh, okay. Looks? Yeah. There's, well, didn't, the, there's, didn't the band originally have a Danish singer? Yeah, Hen yeah. Henrik Ostergaard. Uh, and he uh, passed away about 12 years ago. And I've been uh, a fan of the band forever. And uh, their guitar player, Paul Lydell, who played on, you know, the Cool from the Wire and Turn of the Screw and many more records. He's been in Dangerous Toys since 94. So we, the original uh, rhythm section called Paul about five or six years ago to try to get a new version of it going. And Paul said, yeah, I'll do it with you guys as long as Jason's the singer. So I kind of like... <laughs> was forced yeah go That's ahead and twist point. my arm you know because i'm already a huge fan and and me and henrik were weren't close but we were friendly so yeah uh we put out a live record last year that uh sounds great and and so we got asked to be on the cruise this year so we're looking forward to reliving those old you know cool well, when, is, when, is when is the cruise in may or yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the end of April into May. It's like April 29th through May 5th or something like that. Leaving out of Cape Canaveral. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. starting on, on May 2nd uh, and doing the M3 and stuff like that. You know? Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with everything, man. Yeah. And thanks for sharing your time with us today, man. Continue we shall meet us. again. I'll be back. Yes. <laughs> yes. Famous quotes. <laughs> well, Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, everyone look out for the new album, Songs of White Line. It comes out April 14th. And on behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our very special guest today, Mike Tramp on the Talk Louder podcast. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure.